Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. Today, we're chatting with Juan Pedrosa from the restaurant group behind Avans, Ruka, Lolita, and their newest venture, Marielle. Molly. Hey. What's going on? Uh, you know, to be honest, I'm trying to finish all of my work early this week because I'm heading to Miami this weekend. What? <gasps> Is this for a bachelorette party? Yes, I'm so excited. Tell I've only me been in Miami once and it was really brief, so I'm the maid of honor, so I plan the whole weekend. So obviously it's filled with amazing food and alcohol and restaurants and bars and everything in between. <laughs> and incredible outfits and staying up so late because people stay up so late in Miami. Yeah, I know. I'm a little little scared of the hangover <laughs> already. But yeah, we have a lot of outfits that we have discussed for weeks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've already packed, so I'm ready to go. I'm going to live vicariously through you. A million years ago, I went to a bachelorette party in South Beach, and there was, I think, seven of us, and five of the girls got food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. So it was the opposite of the glamorous, food-centric, awesome party that you're going to have, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, let's hope we don't get food poisoning. That no. sounds like a bachelorette party no, no, no. from hell. You, you would know better than to eat at the place that we did. We were... We were not wise. Okay. I've done a lot of research, obviously. <laughs> you, research? you know me. <laughs> Never. Yeah, it's been really hard to focus on uh, the food lens this week because I've been doing a lot of lot of online research about the Miami food scene. Well, you know, all we have to do is plan a Miami escape. So it's really just work. Yeah, I And know. then you can just send me down there Very to make true. up for lost we'll time. We'll have to do a post-baby girls trip to Miami yes. for the food lens. So see? Yes. It's work-related. Perfect. I'm glad we sorted that out. Speaking of Miami... Our guest today, Juan, didn't he talk about going to Miami? Yeah, I actually heard that Juan and the Koji restaurant team went to Miami for inspiration for their new concept coming up. And I can't wait to pick his brain about that, but then also hear updates about the rest of their restaurants, you know, Lolita Back Bay, Lolita Fort Point, Yvonne's, which is one of my favorite restaurants, and Ruka, of course. Yeah, because it's been interesting, too. Juan's made this big transition, right? I mean, he opened up as executive chef of Yvonne's, and now he's corporate executive chef of the entire Koji restaurant group. So I, I'll be curious, too, to just hear how that transition has gone for him. Me, too. I'm sure it's been a wild ride. Well, I think Juan is actually here now, so let's see what he has to say about it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm glad you could come in today because we never know when she's going to have her baby. Yes. So. Right, right. <laughs> so we were like really glad that we this We were was like, happening. hell yeah. Um, well, I'd love to hear more about how you got started. Yes. I think it has something to do with some some Greek sure. yeah. pizza yeah. Yeah. situation. Yeah, that will always live on, I think, in the story that I tell. I was 12. We had just moved to this area of Waltham, which is right off Moody. And Moody Street was the restaurant row. Anyway, this pizza place was at the top of my street. And I was just always intrigued. I, and they had these big, like, wall-to-wall windows. So you could just, like, peer in to the kitchen. And I used to walk by all the time and just be like, oh, I could see myself there. And then, sure enough, I think right around that time, I was just going there enough to know, uh, get to know some of the owners. So I just asked them, hey, can I do something? Can I work here? And that's kind of how, how it started. These guys uh, took a chance on me and it didn't really start with pay. It was just like fold some pizza boxes. 
and they were the most tedious thing. I don't know if you've ever folded 300 pizza boxes in, in a sitting, but you know, your hands just like really raw from like the paper and you're just like, oh my God, this is awesome. In a weird, <laughs> sickening, you know, your first glance at, at what this career is going to be about. I feel <laughs> like I want to play this for like every 12-year-old kid that watches the Food Network and is like, I'm going to be a chef when I grow up. And you're like, kid, this is what you do. You knock on the door, say I want to work for free, and you right. fold some pizza boxes. Right. Yeah. That's real life. That's exactly, exactly it. Um, and from there, I progressed with the work. Then I'd start sweeping the floors and then doing the dishes and then shredding cheese and chopping up lettuce for salads. And they're paying you a little bit by this point, right? Yes and no. <laughs> I mean, some of the perks were kind of walking out of there with what, whatever you wanted to eat. Mm -hmm. And at that point, you know, for 12, you don't have a ton of cash. You know, so, so you're like, all right, I'll, I'll do that, you know. Um, from that experience, I hadn't really had any sort of other type of food. Um, from Puerto Rico, my mother cooked really basic Puerto Rican style dishes, rice, beans, fried plantains, and you can only eat so much of that mm -hmm. throughout your life. <laughs> throughout your life. Um, as the nights would go on at this pizza place, um, I could kind of see that they were always doing something else. They were running the business and always doing something else. Something else was, you know, whole roasted lamb or over a bed of garlic and onion and, and just like basic maripois and potatoes and whole mushrooms with tons of oregano and olive oil. And I would just think, hold on, I've never seen this as a dish in this pizza place. And sure enough, when I was old enough to kind of stay later, they were making dinners for their family, kids, uncles, aunts, cousins. And I was just there, like, didn't know the language, <laughs> you know. It, it made me feel like food, just like music, is a universal language. And I didn't have to be of, you know, Greek descent. So that was a really good feel-good feel, feel good moment, seeing that as a young kid. And when I thought about some of the best times in my family, they kind of always centered around food and the joy that that brought and how you felt. So I just, I went back, went back, went back until I was about 16 and, and Paul, who is still the owner, just kind of looked at me and, and said, and they used to call me Johnny. And, jo and he called Why me Johnny because <laughs> his name was really, really long in Greek and I, I could never pronounce it, but he's like, call me Paul. It was like the same thing, it, Juan, Johnny, and Same Paul thing, right? and, you know, his, his Greek name. Um, so he said, Johnny, I'm not a chef. And clearly after so many years, you want to be. I'm going to have to let you go. And he was just like, you just have to go and really work in a real restaurant if you, if you want to do this. And we're not a real restaurant. He kicked you right out of the nest. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. He, he was just firing me. And it's funny, I just saw him the other day and... After years of not seeing him, you know, I think we just stood in that pizza place and I just gave him a big hug. Oh. And it was, it's always been this kind of unspoken, like, wave of emotions, you know, and you don't. Uh, was he kind of like a, it sounds like he was kind of like a father figure almost oh, to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, at that point in my life, my parents were going through some really, you know, tough times and you know, my siblings, there was a lot of us and a lot going on. And I think running to the pizza place was just an escape. And Paul and Dina 
you know, God bless them. They really, really took a chance. I had a similar upbringing where, you know, things are going on within your family, but you have these other incredible people that bring you in and treat you like family. And, you know, it really dictates the way your days and weeks and months go. Right. And here you are now after that stint in the Greek pizzeria. I bet Paul is very proud of you. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Have they been? I'm sure they have. But have they followed along with? Oh, they they have. But they're so, you know, they're so disconnected with social media. Uh, They understand it. They know it. (laughs) Jealous. (laughs) But it's just not it's not a part of their life. Yeah. Juan, it's so touching to hear that story because I think, you know, people think about training at fancy culinary schools or working in really famous kitchens. And sometimes all it really takes is finding the right fit, the right restaurant people, um, bosses who believe in you to kind of take you to that next step. And I I love the fact that they sort of kicked you from the nest and and talked about it being time to move on. And so I kind of want to switch gears a little bit, actually, and and talk about Yvonne's and you know, what that experience was like for you because it was such a big leap in your career. Yeah. So we acquired the space um, in, I want to say, late 2012. And before we acquired it, lived Lockover. And Lockover had been one restaurant throughout its entire identity. It was the third oldest restaurant in Boston. And it was very well known. It was a place where politicians were known to go to, you know, all the things that you think of elevated hospitality. This was lockover. We had a responsibility, I believe, to turn that space into something that complemented lockover, not try to erase the history, the space, the spirit, uh, the ambiance. Let's talk for a minute about Weinster. A what a stir? Did you say wine? Or am I just imagining it because I am counting down the days until this baby is born and I can pop a celebratory bottle? Well, Weinster curates great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Wait a minute. Is this a wine club? Like those pricey fruit basket and Chardonnay things my parents used to pick out from catalogs in the 90s? Definitely not. Weinster does have a club program with special member pricing for some of the best bottles. But there's no commitment, and it starts at just $79 per shipment. Plus, unlike a lot of other clubs, the selections are from small production wineries. You have the option to repurchase your favorite bottles, and you get 24-7 access to an expert wine advisor. Oh, and you get free shipping on wine gifts that you want to send to friends or family or... or co-hosts? Yes, co-hosts. Way to ruin your surprise baby gift. Whoops. So you're telling me I don't need to pack up my baby or put on pants to get great wine? And when I do finally leave the house, I can show up to book club with something so much better than the usual grocery store swill? Exactly. They only work with real wine made by real people, not the mass-produced brands that overwhelm store shelves. So anyone and everyone who loves wine should head to winester.com for more information. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. I remember being so excited when Yvonne's was opening because I felt so so desperate for a place like that in Boston that nailed the ambiance and the vibe. You know, it's so it's such a sexy, sexy space and feel. And the the cocktails turned out to be amazing. Some are on fire. Some are large format. Right. I mean, yeah. endless fun. And then I was so surprised that the food was also so amazing. Can you tell me what went into creating this crazy menu? 
Yep. When we were brought on board, there was no real identity for the food at Avon's. And we had done some research. I mean, I, I have to credit Tom because he, he was really the one who was able to put that identity together. And I was able to pick that ball up and then continue to build upon what we have called anchor dishes. Can you kinda. describe one or two of those? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if Tom was here, he'd be able to he'd be able to <laughs> do it. Uh, yeah, I'll I'll try to as best as okay. I can. But um <laughs> I mean one particular dish that comes to mind are the tater cubes and they're such such a tedious um <laughs> project and they really take like 72 hours to make before you can even just fry. And this is a potato. And this is a potato. <laughs> okay, just clarify. So there's a particular <laughs> count of potatoes that potato gets peeled gets chopped gets put in a very special cooking method and then only at the right time can you pull them out and then immediately shred them into a sheet pan that is covered in plastic and you apply enough pressure so they don't ooze out from the sheet pan then you have to stack more weight on it just enough weight so you're left with a nice block. And then that is allowed to cool for 24 hours. They have to cool. That way the potato kind of firms up and really sets. From there, we can then cut them into star shapes. And we this just... is potato charcuterie. This, this is, is like... <laughs> yeah, this is, uh, this is very over the top. Very over the top. And the sauce that goes with it has to be made to just the right acidity level, the right saltiness. Everything really has to be balanced. And the sauce that accompanies the potatoes is a uh, jopi sauce, which is a Dutch condiment. Mayonnaise. An easy, yes, an easy, <laughs> an easy terminology. You, you could call it curry mayonnaise, but Tom will kill you if you, <laughs> if Sorry, you do. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> but I mean, that's just another component. And then there's the beet pickled eggs, which you have to simmer to the appropriate <laughs> temperature shock them equal parts water and ice and then peel all of these eggs while that's going you're making a pickling brine with rich red beets it can't be too hot and it can't be too cold because it's got to pickle the egg but it can't overcook the egg so this, this is, is why you got to start breaking down pizza boxes because this is what you're in for kids right this is what it's right. about so it's i mean but the end result is i think one of these dishes that just really sings and, you know, we've coined and have used the word crave-worthy to describe a lot of these anchor dishes. We want you to remember it, and we want you to tell the story, and we want you to be as excited when you're telling that story as you were when you were eating it. That's how we've developed our vision for the food at all of our restaurants. You know, Yvonne's played a very crucial factor in just determining who we were going to be in the city of Boston. Yeah, I mean, those those tater cubes are a must-have on the food lens, but we also are obsessed with the large-format Viper Chop. Have you ever had that, Catherine? No. Sounds aggressive. It is aggressive, it but is it's aggressive. perfect for a group dinner. <laughs> it's a bone-in pork short rib. It averages about two, two and a half pounds. And well before we even get this meat in, we would have started making our own kimchi. I hope there's no health inspectors listening. <laughs> um, and again, a very treacherous procedure. It takes three weeks. So we have to gauge our kimchi use and build our dishes kind of around what's 
being fermented. We get the pork in, we brine the pork for a day, we cook it for 24 hours. So if you order one, it's typically the first thing that is rung in for table, as it does take 45 minutes to bring that pork up to temperature. And it allows you to drink some large format cocktails, so you are ready <laughs> for your viper steak. For magnums of champagne. Love those two. <laughs> yeah. There is a very strategic business angle to this. I feel well, like. I mean, if you buy a viper chop, we at least know you're in the seat for at least an hour. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, you so can do some damage. Wait, but you, you know, you started this Greek pizza place. Right. You worked with Jody Adams at Trade. There was a Boston Magazine. Right up that described the food as that it was a smattering of Filipino, Sardinian, British pub, Turkish. So I'm curious, like, is there a thread that runs through your food? You sort of, I feel like, alluded to it when you're like, our thing is making you feel like you have this experience that you want to talk about. I'm curious, like, how would you define your food? <laughs> Just a little question. <laughs> um, I mean, it's, it's Yvonne's, we got away with being able to do a very globally inspired menu. The idea was that Lockover was the first restaurant in the city of Boston to put forth a very international uh, menu. And when we oh, I didn't know that. talked about creating the identity in terms of food for Yvonne's, that was the one that kind of came to light. I have a great buddy of mine who was the chef over at Neptune, and he would always come and have dinner at Yvonne's and he would just sit there and have a blast but he'd sit there and be like how many ingredients are in this dish like 15 <laughs> and I'm like I mean 17 but you were close <laughs> at Neptune it's all about simplicity incredible protein very good olive oils and awesome salt that really kind of make the seafood shine and we like that too we can do that too it's just not who we are we are like because they're a little more flamboyant yeah. than that. <laughs> Everything's over the we're, top uh, of us. We're going <laughs> to yeah. electrify your taste buds, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really what we do well. But understanding that and seeing the reaction to that kind of unveil over at Avon's has allowed us to take that and adapt that with all of our other restaurants. You know, that's what I'm currently doing for Lolita, a restaurant that's never been in the face of media. And is there anything that you've done differently since you've been there? Or are you just putting a megaphone to like, hey, we've been doing this the whole time? Or is there some things that you are bringing to the table now to kind of reinvigorate it or let people know you guys are there? Yes. <laughs> um, we opened Lolita Four Point. You know, we started brunch. We started lunch. We started really kind of hitting the areas that we don't hit in our other concepts. Yeah, so you must be a busy guy because you have Lolita Back Bay... Alita Fort Point, Ruka downtown, yep. and Yvonne's downtown. Right. And I think you have some some more on the horizon. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> can right. you tell us what's going on? What right. can you tell us? <laughs> I'll tell you a, a little bit. Okay. A little bit. Um, you know, I can easily talk about um, Lolita, D.C., which is going to be our, our first restaurant outside of the state of Massachusetts. Um, we are currently working on our Cuban restaurant, Marielle. Ooh, tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also very excited about that. Uh, Tom and one of our chefs from Yvonne's are actually going to be spearheading that, but I'm in full support and have been a resource. You know, it's easy for me because I am bilingual and uh, a large part of our, our team are of Latin background. So 
I'm always kind of like that unofficial translator for Koji management, <laughs> which, which I'm fine with. You know, it comes with what I do. So we actually did travel to Cuba about a year and a half ago now. Four days, four days in Cuba and then another two or three in um, Little Havana in Florida, which was amazing. And we went to Cuba to kind of really see uh, what it was like, you know, what the food was like. It's our spin on the influences that we saw down there. And the build-out has been phenomenal. You know, it's <laughs> it's mesmerizing to see you have to bring a building up to code, but also make it look like it's been stuck in, you know, the... the Decaying glamour yeah, of Cuba. Right, <laughs> right, right, in the 1950s and say, oh, the, you know, this is a new restaurant. Um, it's it's really transitioning and it's coming together and, and there's going to be some really cool pieces from some local artists. And Wow, so that, I can't be, wait. We could use some of those I'm vibes so in like a cold Boston, like January horrible right. day. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a place that we're going to want to hang out. Yeah. Maybe I'll be a regular there, too. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's definitely really scary launching launching new projects, whether it be a, a website like The Food Lens <laughs> or a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wrap it up with our rapid-fire round of questions. Cool. So I would like you to name your favorite Boston dumpling. Favorite Boston dumpling. Specific. Oh, my God. Um... This is hard. Are you not this a big dumpling hard. guy? I am. I'm, I actually make a lot of dumplings at home. Um, okay. What? You know, is it, is it, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to think. I just, right, we'll, we'll come back to it. We'll come back to it. We'll right. give you a minute. All right. What about your favorite dive? Anchovies. Favorite dessert? Bovas at about four o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Date spot. Date spot. Moonshine. And then any more thoughts on? See, I want to say that I'm so good at this. But I'm not. And maybe, and maybe it just. Hey guys, just to let you know, we record our episodes a little early because we're really on top of our shit. So FYI, Marielle did already open and I stopped by. It's pretty amazing. Catherine, have you signed up for our monthly newsletter? Molly, I'm embarrassed to say that until recently I actually hadn't. I thought I was on top of all things TFL, but it turns out I was missing out, especially on the cocktail recipes that I'm now clipping like a grandmother and filing away for as soon as I give birth. Well, I'm a little offended it took you this long, but every month we highlight new content, ranging from drool-worthy can't-miss dishes to neighborhood guides, cocktail recipes, upcoming events, and more. And you and Sarah throw the best events. I'm waiting with bated breath to see if you do Valentine's Day again this year. I am still thinking about the charcuterie boards and the raw bar. Well, now you'll be the first to know since you actually signed up. To sign up, just go to thefoodlens.com and click on the subscribe button in the upper left-hand corner. It's the best way to avoid food FOMO in Boston. This podcast was produced by Ali Pham. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.